Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK. How are you doing tonight? Absolutely fabulous. It's a beautiful day. What more could you ask for, right? And we've got a great show coming. Oh, we have the real deal tonight. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who call themselves shamans and... I'm not so sure, but tonight we have a real shaman joining us, Don Oscar Mira. He's joining us tonight. He's he's it, you know, so we're happy, thrilled to have him with us. In just a few minutes, we'll bring him on. But I wanted to check with you, anything exciting going on with numbers? Well, everyone needs to pay attention. This is a month dealing with our finances. Money is the name of the game. And what we can do with it and hold on to it as best we can. Because everything is about investment, be it in ourselves or in somebody else's pocket, preferably ourselves. But there's a lot of things <laughs> going on right now. Get yourself lined up because this month it will give you an opportunity to lay some things out so that you'll be less stressed with the coming year. Because next year deals with in information dealing with the past, present, and the future. So we're going to take a look at what we can lay out right now so that we can make the most, stretch it out as much as we can to get the best of the best out of all of this. Being in control is going to be very important of our own finances because nobody else is going to fix it for us. And I'm sorry, folks, I'd like to say we could be the winner of the lottery, but that's just not going to happen. Maybe to one person, but I don't even think that's going to happen yet. It's going to keep building up for all of us to lust after. (laughs) Really? Because it's over a billion dollars that's up for grabs tonight, huh? Well, I have my ticket. I do. My son picked (laughs) up some tickets. I I don't even bother. I'm the kind I could go into a casino. I just give to my purse when I walk in and forget it. I couldn't couldn't (laughs) win if my life depended on it. Oh, no. It doesn't work. This is not good programming, but I know some people have that luck of the Irish or whatever you want to call it. One of my brothers, he was always lucky at finding things. He could just find stuff and oh, it would always you. be worth worth money. Yeah, he was quite gifted with that. Amazing. I wish I, I had that gift stuff. too. <laughs> That is not yeah. fun. And then you go wandering no, around searching not. for it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been looking I for my mother's earrings for the last seven years. I Can't know. Oh, my gosh. 
I know. You've even asked but, uh, mediums and psychics to help you. Nobody's given uh-huh. you a straight answer. Nope, not at all. But I lost my bracelets for four years. and They ended up one day showing up in a place I would never, ever put anything. So I'm still hoping for the earrings to show up. I hope they do because I know they're meaningful to you. So they're not just jewelry. They have meaning. Yes. No, life 101 goes on in spite of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to remind everybody to please look at the Supernatural Girls webpage because we've got lots of health products on there to take a look at. The liquid vitamins are great. Mm-hmm. We have a new laser watch that Dr. Weber has invented and Unfortunately, they've sold out already on the first run of these laser devices, but they have more in production. So anybody who's anxious to get one, just send me an email. I'll make sure you're on the list for that. But it was such a popular thing. And, of course, Dr. Weber, who we've Mm -hmm. had on the show, is an amazing genius, and whatever he invents is fantastic and has a real, real effect. And as you know, I swear by that laser watch it is the best and i have one now that i'm selling yeah that is half price so if anybody wants that uh, please get in touch with me i'd be happy to uh to sell it to you for half the price and you can use it for your health well-being anti-aging it does a lot of different things so anyhow just let me know but the information on the old watch the older version is on our webpage. so take a look there Mm -hmm. we also have the energy Oxygen machine, which is uh, phytosynthesized oxygen. It's they have one for personal use and they have one for spas. So take a look there. It's some of them, the ones for the spas, they're like a work of art. They're absolutely beautiful. So take a look at all of that. It's on the homepage, supernaturalgirls.com. So tonight we're talking about shamanism, and we have a real mm-hmm. shaman with us which is wonderful. So this is a very authentic person. He has lived the path. His name is Don Oscar Miro Quesada, and he is a transpersonal psychologist, a respected Kamaska Curandero, and I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, Alto Misayok Adept from Peru. He is the originator of the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, cross-cultural shamanism. And he's the founder of the Heart of the Healer, Thoth, Shamanic Mystery School. He And he's also a fellow in ethnopsychology with the Organization of American States and invited observer to the United Nations, Nations Forum on Indigenous Issues. And you can find him at heartofthehealer.org. And he's with us tonight. So, Don Oscar, welcome to the show. Ayintuta, Warmicha, Patricia Baker, and Patricia Piquet. Thank you so much for having me on, oh. my beloved sisters. This is so exciting. We are, of That's course, great to have you. Yeah, <laughs> navigating you've got some a, interesting... Go ahead. Yeah, you've got a brand new book. I just wanted to announce uh, the name of it. Oh, Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion with Nature and Creation. It is available now. It was just published. So perfect timing because we want to hear all about this. Your adventures as a shaman have have stuck with us through the years. Uh, You're one of our stellar guests, 
and your whole life story is fascinating. So if you don't mind, let's start at the beginning about how this happened in your life, because you you started with a a doctor as a father in Peru, and then things kind of went sideways, and talk us through this. Well, thank you so much for opening up the space for me to share my story as a friendly holographic projection, because in a sense, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you <clears throat> define me as a shaman that's authentic and genuine. With, uh, my service path has provided that to be true. At the same time, I'm hesitant to call myself a shaman. I'm a practitioner of shamanic medicine traditions from the ancestral peoples of Peru that I honor as a life way, as as who I am. And all that was made possible due to my early childhood experiences of of dismemberment, really, of, of deep personal challenges at the physical or health level, as well as psychological, having grown up in a relatively dysfunctional family that um, uh, prompted me to rely on my inner life, my inner world, my my own <clears throat> intuition and sense of, of guidance that I can only trust because everything outside of myself was not trustworthy given the environment I grew up in. That's not to say that my parents didn't do their best and weren't loving in their way, but they had their own issues, as many of our parents have had. As you well know, being a parent doesn't come with a manual, and we learn along the way, and our children are our best teachers in that regard. So in a a sense, I was confronted with severe asthma that had me bedridden for many, many years until I had to go up to the highlands of Peru, get away from the uh, smog and contamination in Lima, Peru, which was very bad and still is at the time. And uh, the doctors didn't give me much hope. I was on dexamethasone uh, intravenously to open up my alveoli to be able to breathe. So in a sense, I was, uh, my formative years were spent in a state of classical shamanic dismemberment of uh, an initiatory illness, a rite of passage, if you may call it that, and, and led me to be able to, through supernatural means, encounters with beings of light that basically uh, sucked out the asthma out of my pulmonary system. And from then on, I was healed completely and resumed a normal life as a child in Peru. And I shared that story with you the first time we met when you honored me and Mm -hmm. allowed me to speak about my first book, uh, Lessons in Courage, that covers that wide range of experiences in in that formative period of my life and much, much more. So, May I um, ask you a question, Don Oscar, about your your family? Because, you know, a lot of people who are in a practice, as you are with this, a healing practice with shamanism, um, they come from a long line of 
shamans. And did you find that to be true as you got older? Did you look into your lineage and find that to be true? Well, um, I, I was born from a Peruvian father and an Italian mother. Yet on the Peruvian side, during the conquest in 1532, when Francisco Pizarro invaded Peru and decimated the Inca Empire, after that, there was a lot of intermarriage. So one of my ancestors married a royal Inca princess, a Chumbi, oh uh, the daughter of Capacupanqui, the the 13th Inca, uh, the 12th Inca, and uh, a granddaughter of the 12th Inca. And as a result that of that intermarriage, the Miro, the Miro part of my compound name, has a lineage connected to those ancestral uh, peoples that were the healers and uh, and governmental leaders of the Inca uh, population at the time that intermarried with the Spanish. So at that level, there's a bloodline, a trickle of the bloodline. Yet my true lineage uh, developed as a result of my apprenticeship over many years. It began in 1969 and then completed in 82 and then followed another one from 82 to 86. So from 69 to 86, I was immersed in a very formal apprenticeship in northern Peruvian folk healing known as Camasca Curanderismo with a very revered mentor, Don Celso Rojas Palomino. And then a secondary mentor, Don Benito Coriwan Vargas, more in the Cusco Highlands Andean tradition. So those two lineages of shamanism infused my soul. And in a, in, in a sense, when I was very young also, my father, who's a physician, was stationed in very remote rural areas of Peru. So I grew up among indigenous people. My formative years from age one and a half to age five was basically living in native tribal communities. So when I returned to Lima, to the capital, I felt like a stranger in a strange land, you know, being out of, out of their world. And it was a struggle on top of the asthma yeah. had. So I had the tribal soul already impregnated in me, and I felt much more resonant and identified with the indigenous populations of Peru than with the uh, European descent that my parents were from. I trust that answers your question. It does. What a fascinating experience of your own family. That That's amazing. But, yeah, having that kind of a serious illness when you're a child, it, it leads you to not trust mm-hmm. life itself. It's like, my God, are you going to live? Are you going to die? And I would imagine your parents were quite worried about you because um, you, you, they told, well, they didn't tell you, but you felt like it was possible. You wouldn't make it. So, yeah, goodness true, me. True, true. You, you were meant to be here, I guess. They, we just couldn't get rid of you, Don Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first person to to say that. (laughs) I have had, had, believe it or not, I have had three near-death experiences, and they still won't take me. (laughs) 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 Here yet, Don Oscar. You've got more to do. Right, lucky lucky for us, you're still here, because 
these are very crazy times, I'm sure you've noticed, and uh, it's it's so so challenging, so very challenging for so many people. I mean, the craziness around COVID and the vaccine, and do you take it, do you not, and all of this oppression with censorship and uh, craziness in the government going on. It's it's definitely been uh, life shattering to a lot of people. And also the isolation of COVID has led to a lot of people mm-hmm. committing suicide. And it's uh, it's a very, it's been a very, very bad time. What's your take on this? Why do you think these things are happening and have been happening in our cultures now? Um, <clears throat> well, from the perspective of, of shamanic awareness, we understand that there are cycles, periods, eras, <clears throat> world uh, transformations that occur every few hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. They're like recalibrating the a humanity that has gone off track. And we're in the midst of one of the worst that we've experienced across the arc of human history right now. And these moments of transformation on a global planetary level are known as Pachakuti, P-A-C-H-A-K-U-T-I. Pacha means world, time, space, realm, basically consciousness. And Kuti means reversal, transformation, change. So these periods of cyclical change that occur on a, on a planetary scale um, are part of life, just like everything is. The only constant in life is change, is transformation. And when a species such as our own self-reflexive humanity, because we are the only species that at least we think we, that is advanced and whose free will can impact the earth in a manner that is either uh, creative or destructive. Um, when a species together loses its way, is estranged from the sacred dimensions of life, uh, the earth mother needs to remedy that imbalance. And therefore, the climatic and uh, geophysical changes that we're experiencing but most importantly, what happens is that it's the social um, earthquakes, the social hurricanes, the social um, forest fires and degradation that is, that is most worrisome. Humanity is forgotten that they are one united species because of misguided leadership among the governing parties of this world. And so what is going to happen, as has happened in the past, and you can read about it and hear about it in the creation tales and stories of origin and the great epics and mythic um, writings of our ancestors, there's going to be a, a period where people will unfortunately be tested severely in the form of pandemics such as what we've just experienced in the form of you know the misuse of atomic power 
in the form of misguided uh, political polarization due to the need for certain individuals to feel that they are better suited to lead the world than, than the world can lead itself, if, if you follow me. So there's yeah, all these variables, all these situations that are coming to a head that are converging to a point of really no return. So we have two options, in my humble opinion. One is to learn to die before our physical death. And by that I mean let go of the need, the craving for approval and control. Uh, Bring ourselves back to a place where we are not so narcissistic and so focused on personal gain and self-survival, yet uh, open to the fact that we have the ability to care for someone or uh, another species as much or even more than we care for ourselves, and to tap into that place that is our true essence, our soul, our sense of unitive consciousness, of being part of the great sacred web of life, and live a life of reverence. And our thoughts, our words, our actions, our dreams, uh, be conscious that they have power to fashion a new world. So every breath we take, is an opportunity to consciously send out a healing vision and a loving energy into those places of our planet that are in so much turmoil right now. And that is what it is to be of service to the great work of the Pachacuti, of the planetary turning, as they call it. Yeah, and you write about this in in your book, and it's very, very enlightening to read about all of these uh, these ideas and terms and ways of being. <clears throat> but this has led us to the brink of of uh, our own destruction in a very unique mm-hmm. way. I never would have expected any of this. And it's, it's just a very strange state of affairs. As you mentioned, the people leading are uh, really in a place of destroying us. So it's 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 very troubling but at the same time you're right we do have the option to keep focusing on the healing visions and to not accept war i mean we accept it we're used to it and and so there's got to be a change in consciousness of not accepting it anymore of saying this is unacceptable this we won't accept this way of life is not something we want because we've just come to be so familiar with it and we become numb to to right. it, and that's the most dangerous exactly. thing. Exactly. Uh, you know, the pollution of mind. Yeah, yes. The pollution of mind is is more worrisome than the pollution of the environment. Our minds are contaminated with such falsehood, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> the solutions aren't easy, yet they are possible. And the first one is to realize that we are one humanity, one global family, that we are all indigenous to Mother Earth. We are all native children of this planet. And as such, we owe our our life to, to its sustenance and to its flourishing in a good way. 
And the power of love, in my humble opinion, is the key to this. Love and art will transform the world. Excuse me, something's going on here. Okay, that's good. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. It's fabulous when you think about, as you mentioned, about love. And I hadn't thought about art as being a part of that, but it's, it does make good sense because it opens our mind and our hearts to so much by artistic elements that are on around us. Exactly. Well, we are creativity creating creations. We were born <laughs> from creations dreaming and from our cosmic mother's love. In the shamanic uh, understanding, <clears throat> we are simply instruments for bringing beauty, for beautifying and sanctifying the planet in which we live. And um, art has always been ahead of the game in pointing the way to transform things when needed, right? Uh, And so, therefore, anything that we can grow corn and potatoes with, as we say in the Andes, which means give physical form to one's epiphanies, one's inspirations, one's awakenings, one's spiritual uh, encounters, one's stories of relationship with the unseen world, with the supernatural realm, all those must be given form in in painting and drawing and sculpting and dancing and in making love and cooking and, and whatever you can fashion with your being as a gift of beauty or as a gift of creativity to the world is going to go a much longer way than if you just show up at some sort of rally and demand change, knowing all along that the those in power are not going to heed your demands because they're so entrenched sure. in their own fear base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, so no, that's absolutely it's, it's true. <laughs> the divine, 
mainstream what is the sacred into our three-dimensional world. And so her way of doing it is by inviting people to tell their stories of encounter with the divine, with the sacred. And therefore, each of the, the volumes uh, in, this sa- in this common sentient series, mind being on shamanism, they all have different subjects, invites other authors that to submit a short story, a little tale, a little fable of their own experiences regarding that particular topic. And in the case of shamanism, as you know, having read the book, there are 25 other invited uh, writers in there, aside from myself, that wrote the main bulk of the book that have very compelling, riveting stories of their own shamanic encounter with non-ordinary realities that change their lives completely for the better. And as you mentioned, Patricia, uh, through the gift of storytelling, we are able to deliteralize, um, uh, unmind ourselves in other ways where we start mm-hmm. to experience life rather than seek to analyze it and to understand it and break it down in a reductionistic way. We just embrace the wholeness that is life through stories because we live them. And sometimes the stories tell us. That's the exciting part. Our stories tell us who we are. Yes, it's very it is very exciting. And I've I've noticed that myself lately I'm getting less interested in words and much more interested in experience and I was reflecting back on some of the paranormal uh stories that we've heard here on the show and other places like Skinwalker Ranch for example. Very strange going goings on there and they brought in cameras, they brought in scientists, they and they didn't walk away with much. I know there's a new owner, and I'm not sure what they're finding, but they have a television series out of it. But to me, that's not what this is about. You know, if you want to know the paranormal, the supernatural, then you have to experience it and not sit there and go with a notebook. You know, we're going to take notes and analyze this and figure out what it is, because that's not how this works. So I... I think it's it's more what you're saying. You have to really experience this and forget about this analysis and this scientific breakdown of the last time they saw the UFOs show up. It's like you're never going to figure it out that way. Nor maybe it's not and maybe it isn't meant to be figured out, but I think they're missing the point here. <laughs> it mm-hmm. is meant to be an experience, right? That's my opinion. Totally. Totally. That's why we mm-hmm. we refer to the great originating mystery as source in shamanic practice. Um, without mystery, there, our life becomes stagnant and becomes dead. So by trying to break down everything into its component parts and analyze the Something that is meant to be a, a a communion, an experience of encounter with the transcendent, such as a a sighting, a UFO sighting, or even you know an apparition, or a Marian apparition, or some form of 
anomalous phenomena that shows up in your life and makes you realize that there's much more to what it means to be human than just eating, sleeping, making love, and having children and passing on your genes for future generations, that there truly is a doorway between worlds that is waiting to be opened and waiting to for us to walk through. So as you know, I've been involved in uh, in a group of contactees called the Rama Mission that started in Peru in 1974, where we understand that that contact is about contact with oneself. It's not about projecting our need to have a sighting in the sky. It is about, well, what does that sighting represent for your own awareness that you are as well a star relative, that you are a extra-dimensional denizen, and a, a, a transcendent being that happens to have taken form as a passerby on this good earth, but that there's no difference between the inhabitants of other worlds in our galaxy, in our cosmos, and ourselves. We're all born of creation's love and dreaming, and therefore, we are a story that is being told through our lives. When we, I'm not going to say that the scientific method hasn't yielded extraordinary contributions to the betterment of humankind. Of course it has. Yet it, it, when it's faced with paradox, when it's faced with, uh, with stifling experiences that cannot be understood, the methods of investigation of the sciences fall very short. That's where the mystics, that's where the yogis, and that's where the visionaries come in and offer us guidance to be able to walk through that portal, that interdimensional bridge that is here at all times. And contact is really about realizing that the beings in the sky that we see are ourselves in the future calling back to us, saying, Mm. This is where you're going. Good wow. job. That's where where we're at. That's a really nice way to to yeah. say that. <clears throat> and it's much more interesting that way too. I think. I mean, there's only so many lights in the sky you can look at and go, "Okay, that was mm-hmm. really nice. Now what?" I mean, where's the relationship? Where is the friendship? Where, you know, that's the kind of thing that I find interesting and important rather than a, a fleet of, of starships flying around our skies. I mean, they've been flying around our skies for thousands of years. It's like I, I get to the point where I say, okay, so so what? You know, right, right, big deal. Right. And, and, uh-huh. and then the government's still monkeying around with, yeah, but we don't know what they are. And <laughs> you don't know who's piloting them. And I'm yelling. Sure you don't. But it's like, where's again, where is that connection that enhances our lives? And obviously with shamanism, it enhances our lives. It brings us to a different perspective, a whole new understanding, and we get to feel empowered with that connection to source. And and you're also you also do ritual. I was reading more about your biography. So I know you wrote some of uh, the rituals in your book 
Again, the name mm-hmm. of the book is Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion with Nature and Creation. So let's say, you know, in practicing shamanism, um, you wanted to to connect with what's on the other side of that portal. Is there a ritual for that? Well, certainly there's... <laughs> Uh, there's uh, at least 70,000 years of rituals since the upper Paleolithic era that we've inherited from our original peoples on planet. The key is to uh, distill all of that beautiful uh, ceremonial uh, uh, wisdom into a practice that is relevant to the modern world. And it can be as simple as a... uh, a shamanic earth walk in which you start with your right foot, barefoot on the ground, on the earth, preferably on a nice, soft, grassy area. Align yourselves with the divinity, the, the sanctity that is life itself. Take a few deep breaths and Take a step forward with your right step and, and say, Ganchai, or light. Then your left foot and say, Munai, love. Then again, your right foot and say, Pachamama, Mother Earth. And then your left foot again and say, Hunui, united. And then bring both of your feet together and say, Nyokani, I am. So by just walking meditatively, connecting your soles of your feet to the soul of the living earth, to our anima mundi, in a meditative state of awareness, and aligning yourself with light, love, earth, united, I am, is a very powerful and simple ceremonial ritual that will deepen your sense of unitive consciousness and become a story that is able to be shared with many other diverse peoples of the world without having to even say that it's a shamanic practice, but it is. It is a deeply shamanic practice. So that's a simple ritual can be done. Of course, all the while being very mindful of your breathing as you do this. Light, love, earth, united. I am. Capital I, capital A-M. I love that because it's simple. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's simple. It's Definitely. easy. You can keep it in your mind and do it whenever you think of it. When you're outside, you can take your shoes off. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, simple ritual, very powerful, obviously. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people would feel comfortable doing and would be able to feel a new connection over doing that. Correct. And it doesn't require any dogma or any uh, adherence to a particular uh, religious or spiritual uh, practice. It is it's what I call universal shamanism. And that's what this book is about. It's about planting the seeds in the consciousness, in our planetary newosphere, planting the seeds that we are a universal shamanic species, that it is through uh, 
our consciousness that the material world is structured, is informed. It's through our language that uh, reality there, there are five axioms in universal shamanism. The first is this, and an axiom is a, a you know, a truth. Or, uh, so consciousness begets matter, meaning that it all begins with a state of soul awareness, and that the material world is a result, is, is born of consciousness. Then language begets reality. The words that we use, <clears throat> the way that we define or uh, uh, describe our experiences creates the reality that uh, we inhabit. The third is ritual. Here's the ritual begets relationship. Uh, everything is ritualized in the, in the natural world, and it leads to relationships, uh, interspecies as well as intraspecies. And then the four, fourth uh, axiom is nature begets purpose. By observing the natural world, we can find what our purpose really is for being alive. Very simple. Just notice the patterns, the pulses, the tonalities, the rhythms, the cycles, the order that is in the natural world, and mimic it in your own life in the best way that you can, and uh, meaning and purpose will be provided. And the fifth, the most important, is love begets life. The impulse to care, the impulse mm -hmm. to, to love, really is uh, generative of life. And so consciousness, language, ritual, nature, love results in the shamanic path that is universally available to all two-legged on earth. Well, that's, that's a wonderful. Little, a little yeah. download. <laughs> yeah, I like the downloads. Yeah, all of that mm -hmm. is so important. And I know you talk about all of this in your book. Like, This is the medicine that we need right now. This is the medicine we need to take and the medicine we need to act on. So it, otherwise, my gosh, it, too many things are going off the rails. And so this allows you to stay centered, focused, and create the good energy. Um, because, But let, let me back up a little bit. Because now you talk about in your book, too, the three circles of connection that we all are. I mean, we are not just light. We are also the darkness. And then we're everything in between. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to manage our own darkness. We have to be able to, con I don't want to say control it, but do something with it so it's not running wild all over the planet <laughs> and in our own lives. Now, how does shamanism address that? How does shamanism address the darkness within that we all have? Well, um, the shadow aspects and Pinkola Estes speaks so beautifully and has such great stories about <clears throat> uh, reconciling one's own shadow, you know, befriending the adversary, uh, whining and dining the devil that one has. It, it, shamanism is one of the most effective approaches, uh, far more effective than general psychotherapy, to help people 
through non-ordinary states of awareness or consciousness, encounter those parts of the self that they've disowned, that they have suppressed, that they have repressed, the shame and the guilt because of having harmed someone or violated their uh, their sovereignty uh, at some point in one's life. All of these are seen as fodder, as, 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 as compost for the soul. We understand that the darkness that uh, or the, the lower astral um, parts of ourself uh, are nourishment for other beings that are even in a lesser state of evolution or development than we have that we are. So we have the Uhupacha, this interior lower world, full of these beings, of these spirit helpers that are waiting to receive our darkness, that are waiting to receive our shadow. All it takes is for us to accept, yes, that was part of me. I needed it to grow in a way. It hurt me. It hurt others. It did not contribute to the world. Yet I know the source of where this comes from, from my own abuse, from my own experience of neglect or of ostracism or margination or whatever, from my own sense of not enoughness due to these factors. But shamanism through the ceremonies that involve community participation, family participation, allows one to share their most, uh, their deepest insecurities, their own vulnerability, and their own uh, uh, fear of being rejected if they share their deepest, darkest feelings in a supportive, nurturing space, which is the shamanic ceremonial ground, together with others which aren't there to judge them, just to hold space for these people to come clean with who they are. And they can speak about anything that they need to. And this sometimes is also accentuated or enhanced through the sacramental ingestion of certain plant spirits, of some vision plants that have been used since time immemorial by our shamanic peoples. And this amplifies that experience of Taking your own inventory, basically, you know, of yeah. telling your story of where you were, where you did, where you went off the track, and uh, and let it be received, and still know that you're lovable, even though you don't love yourself. And shamanic ritual is excellent in being able to support that process. Yeah, we need something like that, and you talk about these psychoactive plants. And now what we're seeing is there's there's a couple of things that are making their way into psychotherapy and psychiatry, ketamine being one and psilocybin being another. We're expecting psilocybin will be either decriminalized or legalized by late next year. But ketamine's already FDA approved, and that's quite psychedelic. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that finally uh, the scientific community, especially the healthcare professions, are waking up to the extraordinary potential of these, um, of these spirit helpers. 
from the point of view of shamanism, we under ketamine, for instance, LSD, they're synthetic, uh, uh, you know, expressions of the same types of alkaloids that exist in the natural world in several other plants. So in shamanism, we approach the use of these plant sacraments not as not for their chemical makeup, but for their soul. It's the spirit in the plant that we learn to relate to. So in the modern medical profession, as you said, they're using them in clinical settings that are, you know, still a little bit sanitized and clinical. Uh, And I'd like to see that change a little bit and be introduced more to a shamanic ceremonial experience together with the ingestion of the ketamine and psilocybin rather than just in in a room with a sitter. Yet it's all leading to extraordinary results in in intractable conditions, psychological as well as physical. There's been even proof that psilocybin can help uh, with various degenerative systemic diseases, such as cancer and multiple sclerosis and diabetes and things of that nature. So it's an exciting time that we're living in. And hopefully... Uh, it'll catch up to where our shamanic peoples have been for millennia very soon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know Paul Stamets, who's one of the leaders in mushroom medicine, and he talks about his own experience with psilocybin. And I really, I'll not forget this. He talked about how he had a terrible problem with stuttering all of his life. And mm-hmm. obviously it was embarrassing and it prevented him from, you know, talking to people. And he went on this big psilocybin trip once, and he remembered just saying out loud, no more stuttering. And Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. this experience was over, his stuttering had completely 100% stopped, never came back. Mm -hmm. So I think that's phenomenal. I mean, that all, not that that's all it took, but obviously he was, you know, he was focused, he had an intent. And he said it with all of his being, no more stuttering, and it, it happened, you know, through the help of the of the plant helpers, of the mushroom helpers, psilocybin in this case. But exactly. certainly, yeah, the, the, the yeah. ancients knew more about this. Mm-hmm. Well, our plants are much wiser than we are. Just the mycelium network of the of our fungi relatives that cover the surface of this earth is enough. Is a mind blower. And Stamets speaks about that as well, because they're conscious, sentient beings, our plant relatives, and they communicate through a network of, um, uh, uh, of you know, certain neurohormones, very similar to what we have in our own human system. So, um, but they're they're a little different, of course, in molecular composition, yet they still are transmitters of knowledge, of wisdom. And these have been around for millions of years and have been eaten by all of our prehistoric, uh, you know, life forms. So we have the same molecular makeup as psilocybin and as mescaline and as ayahuasca and all of these other entheogens 
we have them in our bloodstream as a result of our evolution into these mammalian two-leggeds that we are. So we are walking repositories of these altered or non-ordinary states. Meditation, shamanic ritual, journey work, all those activate these natural entheogens and produce beautiful visionary states of consciousness with deep insight and focused on being able to change those parts of ourselves that we need to. So I'm thrilled that the modern medical profession is welcoming and celebrating their youth at present. Yeah, that's it. I am too. I think it's very exciting. I know, PK, you're excited by it as well because it creates all these new pathways, and it literally creates new pathways in the brain they're finding. So, so many people, and I know you being a transpersonal psychologist, I'm sure in your practice with people with that and shamanism, you see this all the time, where people get stuck. They can't get beyond the hamster wheel. You know, whether it's anxiety or whether it's just the same old pattern of picking bad partners or or whatever. And yet the mushrooms, the psilocybin mushrooms, have the ability to create a new pathway for you to choose. And you don't even have to choose it. It just kind of drags you down a new path. (laughs) So that, you know, you you don't have to do the hamster wheel anymore. Uh Yeah. And and I've talked to a lot of people who are saying this was a miracle. And so that's, that kind of intelligence, as you just addressed, is remarkable, and it go beyond our intelligence. This is something so far beyond our comprehension at this point. I'm sure the shamans mm-hmm. of old knew all about it, and you know all about it. But it is something new to the Western mind that this, well, this type of intelligence is amazing. Don't you think, Patricia, that, that, that so many people are fearful because of the way drugs have been handled today? And oh, so yeah. when you talk about mushrooms, whatever, that right away they go to thinking the negative side of these things instead of all of a sudden now they're opening the doors and we've got so much positivity coming to us about what's available instead of the fear they're starting to want to reach out and try and test the waters which is way overdue. Well, it is. We're kind of far behind on what we know about it from a research perspective and what mm-hmm. is possible in healing from a traditional standpoint. We're just way behind because everything was outlawed. And right. we made plants. We made plants illegal, for God's sake. It's crazy. <laughs> right. You know, we made mushrooms illegal. It's like, What? You know, these are natural substances on the planet. We're making them illegal. You're illegal now. You know, it's just crazy. That whole thing that, that came in with with Nixon has just prevented us from taking it further. So we are far behind in understanding the possibilities. But again, the shamans know. You know, Don Oscar. So yeah, it's it's well, great we, to see we, it we, change. We, yeah, we we sing our songs to the plants, and we call on their healing virtues um, through our prayers and through our uh, through our power objects, really, and, and that are placed within our altar grounds. And so we create a little home for the spirit of the plant to come and take up residence uh, in in our ceremonial lodges, in our medicine lodges. And that makes a huge, huge difference uh, with potentiating their 
their natural healing capacity. Uh, and I'm, I trust that the medical establishment, the allopathic uh, tradition of medicine will be valuing that. As a matter of fact, I've been invited by a couple of distinguished people that I'm not privy to speak their names right now, associated with John Hopkins and the University of California at uh, Berkeley, to participate to bring the shamanic ritual component into the research on, on with psilocybin with um, near uh, end of life situations uh, because Wonderful. it's being used for hospice and so they're they're open now to the shaman, to calling upon the shamanic mm-hmm. ways of befriending the wisdom of these of these substances. Mm-hmm. This is terrific. There's there's a lot of fear associated oftentimes with death and dying. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a wonderful uh, change of of perspective mm-hmm. here, which is oh, great. Well, it is. It, well, let me ask another question about your friend Sisto. Is he still around? Oh, Sisto is definitely still around. <laughs> Thank goodness, because he's quite the character. Yeah. We yeah, still want to get him on the show. Have you reached out to him? I haven't yet because I didn't he have... speak any English. Well, that's You'll why I didn't reach out to him. That's, yeah, I he... finally got one. It took me all this time, and luckily one of my friends in L.A. is a filmmaker. I said, you know, I'd love to get Sisto on the show, but I don't speak any Spanish. Uh, it's going to make a difference here. And he said, let me find you somebody. So he did find someone who would translate. And I thought, well, this may happen. But he is, your whole experience with him, I still, we still remember that, what you told us about his experience of going to, I believe it was Jupiter, right? And then they, they brought him back and he was all discombobulated. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Poor well, guy's Ganymede. hair was sticking Ju- up. Jupiter, <laughs> Jupiter, <laughs> yeah. Jupiter's largest moon, Ganymede, There's, there is a... <laughs> Uh, a, a crystal city. There is a there is a settlement uh, on Ganymede that I I I know for a fact that various governments of this world know about already, and um, it's been there for millennia uh, as a outpost from beings primarily from the Orion constellation, some Pleiadians uh, and Arcturians, yet uh, they um, they are kind of checking things out on this planet. They are concerned with the way things are, are happening here. And um, <clears throat> so, Sixto, yes, uh, through the Zendra experience, which is an interdimensional portal, um, disappeared in front of my eyes when we went on an outing uh, down in, in Chiluca in the south, south of Lima. It's a hotbed of UFO activity and uh, through the Rama mission. And, yeah, as I told you before, uh, in, my, in front of me, he just disappeared out of thin air and then came back with, the, with a beard growth of about a week with his hair all discombined, his eyes and hair all messed up, like he had been through the through a washer and dryer, you know. And, uh, and, and so. just, yeah, and it was it was it changed my life. So that that uh, was another 
life transformative uh, experience where I realized how little I know when it comes to parting the veil between seen and unseen dimensions. Uh, it was quite remarkable. And what Why do you think it happened to him, Don Oscar? Why him? Well, at that time, at that time, the Rama Mission was a civic organization in, in Peru, and it also had uh, groups, 500 groups around the world in various Spanish-speaking countries. So it, mm-hmm. it was a, a flourishing organization, not-for-profit, you know, dedicated to human spiritualization through communion contact with our star relatives we call them the hermanos mayores or the elder brothers and um so sixto was in the limelight and we, he was receiving he was the primary antenna which is the person who receives psychographic communication uh, telepathically and so most of the communications from the more advanced beings that were uh, in charge of supervising the planetary evolution of Earth, the spiritualization of Earth, excuse me, uh, used him as a mouthpiece. And that's uh-huh. why he had had these experiences of actual physical demolecularization. He basically, to be able to to do what he did, First of all, he's always been very, very disciplined, lacto-ovo-vegetarian. Now I think he's just very uh, disciplined in his vegan uh, approach and he daily meditation. He was very pure in body and mind and, and, and heart. And those are qualities that are very important because the cleaner you are as a, as a soul body, your, the higher your vibrational frequency to the point where it matches with a seventh dimensional expression of light itself. And that's the vibra- that's the energetic level that is most comfortable to our advanced star relatives to have an encounter with humans with. If you do not raise your vibration enough, uh, you become, uh, you can become a trap. You can, it's dangerous for more elevated beings to, um, to, to hang around us, right? They become basically entrapped in the density of a more sluggish vibrational atomic structure and therefore have a diff- more difficult time extracting themselves. So they require someone very, very pure in body and heart and in mind. And Sixto had all those qualities. So that's why I feel that he was he was allowed entrance. I, on my part, was still polluted by my own <laughs> stinking monkey mind, and therefore wasn't given a chance to go on board. You're like one of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. But at least I witnessed it and I supported it. Yeah. Oh, that, that was a gift right there. My goodness. So yeah, we'd love to get him on sometime. I'll have to. Uh, get his uh, email or however the best way is to contact him at some point, and we'll we'll get him on here with a translator. Um, let me ask you too about Kundalini. You write about that in the book, and mm-hmm. uh, obviously that's a whole big piece of shamanism of raising that energy. And mm-hmm. has how does this happen? I mean, how do people? raise that kundalini energy through shamanic practice is that the same thing you just you were just talking about like becoming very pure 
Um, how does it happen? It's very powerful, I'm well, sure. Yeah, there, there, Kundalini, Shakti, Kaipa, there's many words for this evolutionary um, force that exists within humans. Um, <clears throat> so it can happen spontaneously through a near-death experience or through some sacramental plant uh, relative communion. It can happen through trauma, through PTSD. Uh, These dormant energies uh, that have been suppressed because of our social conditioning, uh, when an opening that usually is... Uh, demanding of uh, of a shift in one's sense of reality, uh, they can flower and blossom without notice, and so open up one's consciousness to a much more populated multiverse, a a a playground of in. Inestimable, a, a playground of so many beings and spirit helpers that it could become a bit overwhelming. Now, mm-hmm. to make to ensure that one enters into this incredibly expanded state of awareness that invites multiple other entities and spirit helpers into one's life path requires, first of all, being instructed in a in a shamanic tradition in a lineage that is that is ancestral that has been sanctioned over the over millennia by wisdom keepers and that is a contains a cosmology a a cosmovision a a map of that realm that you are going to be thrust into through the kundalini awakening that you have right so you need a map and that map is available with various uh, tribal and native indigenous lineages around the world. And it's also being offered through neo-shamanic lineages in a good way and are available. So you have to find a community of practitioners, I suggest, that are dedicated uh, very authentically and genuinely to their own self-transformation and evolution as spiritual beings. And within it, uh, practice the types of breathings and meditation and focused imaginative practices, uh, as well as sometimes austerities, fasting, and um, and uh, either hypo- attenuation or hyper-stimulation of one's sensory system through dance and through, uh, you know, spending a lot of nights without sleep. There's all sorts of practices that allow you to access and awaken these kundalini, dormant kundalini powers. Once mm-hmm. they're awakened, though, the key is to be able to use them for good, right? Not just because you got high <laughs> and because you got expanded. <laughs> Right, but how how do we right. bring that expanded state of consciousness, that connection with the divine, down into the earth, and make it medicine for the world? That's the key, and the only way to do that is by raising your own vibrational frequency 
and realizing that you are a shining one, that your true essence is that of light. And when you walk out into the world with a heart infused with loving intention, the luminosity, the numinous, the sacred, that is our true self, is the medicine. So all you need to do is make eye contact with somebody and smile. Or when you hug somebody, hug them, not just mechanically, but hug them Mm -hmm. heart to heart and offer yourself, offer your beauty, offer your gentle, loving nature into their lives as a gift of medicine. And that's the best way I know that Kundalini serves a global awakening on this planet. That sounds like a plan. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, do, we're doing it yes. right now, my love. <laughs> we are. Oh, that's why I feel it's so that, good right now. Yeah, definitely. But I ask a question. Do you think that the ability to speak Spanish or in that area, there's so much more of the world that seems to be drawn to be able to use that as more advantageous for us in learning how to work with things? Um, more than Spanish, certain um, languages that are living languages, such as Sanskrit or, or you know, or, or Quechua, mm-hmm. you know, Runasili, languages that mimic the sound of the natural world, that, that, that are not noun-based words, that are, you know, that are action-based words, that are movement. So the problem with most languages is that they're, they're just descriptive mm-hmm. rather than, than participatory, right? So yeah. Quechua, for instance, Quechua is, speaking Quechua awakens one's experience of life. It doesn't define it. It doesn't describe it. Same with Sanskrit. These or same and they, and also with the Aleph date with the language of light with uh, uh, you know with the um, the Jewish language that is very very uh, he, with Hebrew excuse me with Hebrew that's also a living language of light uh, it even has the twelve the twenty two uh, consonants that correspond to the twenty two numbers of of light as known. In, in Kabbalistic, uh, so all these these languages provide us with a um, an Im- what's called imitative magic. They imitate the sounds of the, of the music of the spheres, the sounds that are behind the creation of the phenomenal world. So by using them consciously. It helps us grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that you need to use them, but at least you know recognize that they're out there. Yet, um, Spanish is a beautiful language, as all Romance languages are, because it, it they are sounds that awaken emotion. But more important are these more ancient languages. I don't know if I've answered your question, PK, or not. <laughs> yes, you have, because many times we respond because of the Spanish language and many of the things in South America or whatever. You think of that as being possibly the link 
but what you've explained definitely opens the door for people to think in other terms. There's so much more for us to learn, uh, not only about but how to use what we've got available. Mhm, mhm. Yep, spot on. Uh, yeah, you grokked me. You grokked me. Yeah, you got it. I know it's funny because I was I was tortured with Hebrew school when I was a kid. My parents made me go to regular school and then go to Hebrew school. It was a nightmare. But I would get so bored, and I would let my mind just kind of drift off as I was looking at mm-hmm. um, the Hebrew books and passages you were supposed to be learning. And I was I would see light around the letters, and I just thought it was because exactly. I was bored, you know, and my my eyes were going <laughs> circles. Um, but I, I now that I'm, I'm understanding a lot about the language, it is a very powerful language, and but it does have mm-hmm. its own energy definitely has its own energy that I mm-hmm. saw as a child. And boy, did I hate Hebrew school. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, 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 it's a source code, you know. It's a, it's a cosmic source code. It's, it, it, it's not for the... For the uh, you have to be a very dedicated student to really uh, be transformed by its power. And the way, at least I don't, the way they teach it in in school uh, to most people is not the way that it was taught in the olden days, you know? So yeah. I don't know what yeah. type of school you went so you're to. right. I don't know. It was some kind of torture chamber that... That's what it was. God. Yeah. Um so I have a question for you that's, again, you know me. I'm always coming up with some off-the-wall experiences. But a friend of mine and I have done um, over a year of work contacting other dimensions and other entities. We've mm-hmm. contacted some really special entities. We feel very blessed that we've met them. Some are from mm-hmm. Gobekli Tepe. And I know there's very little huh. in traditional archaeology known about that site. But we have mm-hmm. contacted especially one beautiful entity there. And then uh, there was another one. Now, this is the one I, I'm most interested in asking you about. This entity showed up in a Peruvian landscape, and she is it's something I never heard of. She's a primordial being. What mm-hmm. is a primordial being? A being that existed in the primeval era before the fashioning of our uh, mother earth so she existed in she existed in the imaginal or the ethereal the akashic um, template of our planet prior to it becoming three-dimensional in form so very very hmm. an original being a primeval is or a primordial is an original being of, uh, timeless in its in its origin. Now that it showed up in a Andean or a Peruvian landscape is is quite interesting because there are um, some very popular uh, creation myths, tales of origin that speak of this Tixenatyawi or the the woman with the eyes of the universe that gave birth to all of humanity and that she is prophesied to return during these times of difficulty on earth. 
So huh. the, the one with the universe's eyes, Thiksemuyu Nyawi. She is a, a revered princess-like figure in ancestral uh, mystical Andean lore. It could be that you tapped into that. And Goleketepe, as you will know, is uh, there's so much to be discovered there, but finally we are realizing that there were advanced people honoring their relationship with the natural world and our animal relatives in a manner that uh, that allowed them to have these ceremonial centers across the world where they gathered for very deep, important transformational work for themselves, but most importantly for harmonizing the various social groupings around the planet by building these ceremonial sites and maintaining equilibrium when things got shaky, which we, mm-hmm. uh, we're lacking sorely in the world right now. I feel Goblekatepe yes. is basically like a center pole, like, you know, a, 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 a cosmic center that uh, was extremely important in those days when the primeval beings started to show up in physical form into the earth. Hmm. Yeah, that's well you have a grasp of that which is uh remarkable because I know there's like you mentioned and I mentioned there's so little known and it was so it was covered up as you know the whole site and all of those entities left. So it's interesting. I mean it's, this primordial being is was pure power. I mean pure power. Very very interesting and and incredible to meet her. And you said the eyes of the universe, and when I looked at her, her body was black, and there were, but there were stars in her body. That's how she looked. And it, it was, it's an amazing, all of this, what we're doing right now is taking this to another level. Um, it's, we're learning a lot, and we're always pleasantly surprised by who shows up to have a connection with us. So, yeah, well, thank you for sharing that, both of these insights, one on Gobekli Tepe and mm-hmm. the other on the primordial being, who I call Ladona, is uh, very helpful. So thank you. I never would have figured that one out. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why we are we are co-creating a story together. We are storytellers of a new, uh, a new reality, a way of... of participating in the fashioning of the next evolutionary step for our planet. That's what you guys are doing with supernatural girls and having these type of of conversations. We're storytellers, yeah. just like in the it's, ancient it's, caves. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're, we're telling it, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> and good for us. I mean, and... and <laughs> yeah, really. But Don Oscar, your life is so amazing and it continues to be amazing. Do you how do you think of your life when you look at it? Do you see how incredible it's all been so far and continues to be with your near death experiences and surviving asthma and meeting these wise people that helped to heal your lungs? I mean it's it's just an incredible life you're leading. It is unique for sure, I must say. Uh, 
I, I, it blows me. It blows me away. I, you know, I, I kind of refrain from going, making too much of it. You know, I just show up every day and thank the great originating mystery for whatever experiences comes my way, and uh, keep my heart open to gratitude. And try to be as generous with with what I've learned through my life with others, and um, and that allows me to remain in in contact with a state of grace. Uh, you mm. know, I have this this understanding that uh, gratitude fuels generosity, which opens mm-hmm. to grace. And uh, that's one of the chapters in the book. And so just being grateful for my life and expressing it generously in my service to others, um, I can't think of a better (laughs) reward than a state of grace. And as long as I'm that way, there's no need to, 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 to change what I'm doing. I just need to show up and be who I am and love and smile and laugh and, and play and never become an expert and just keep it green <laughs> like a child. For all that you know and ought to share with us, we are totally grateful. Oh, gosh, <laughs> we are. We really are so glad to know you. This has been a wonderful evening. And before we wrap up, because he's got some time left, can we talk a little bit about dreaming? As I feel, as people have heard me say this too much, it's so important to work with our dreams. Now, years ago, when I was a dream analyst, people were so into it. We had dream groups. We did private analysis and in a way that, that I saw people develop into prophetic dreamers because they took mm-hmm. it so seriously in terms of it was a big commitment you know, to write down their dreams every day, to come and share them, whether it be in private session or group it. And they grew exponentially from that experience. But now people don't seem to be interested. They don't want to be bothered. They don't have the time to write their dreams down. And then, oh, my God, well, I can't figure it out. And it's always something stupid. You know, it's it's a whole different attitude. So talk to us about dreams and why they're important and what you're seeing now. What you say is is so true, and it's so sad. Uh, I do remember those days where dreams were revered, <laughs> were considered yeah. the, you know, the gateway to the gods, you know, and goddesses. Right. So yeah, you know, and they still are. Uh, so yes, in in, in the shamanic uh, life way, dreams play a very significant role. Uh, we are initiated through dreams. We receive wisdom downloads in our dreams, and not necessarily we are instructed to write them down, but at least to when you have an emotionally arousing dream, a dream that is significant, to wake up from it and just remain with eyes closed and let it continue its dreaming within you while you're conscious and Hmm. if necessary give it just a little name a title but not necessarily worry about writing down the details 
but keep track of that name or title over time. And so you're going to have a list of these names or titles for these dreams. And out of that entire list, a storyline will emerge. And that storyline, we understand, is what is pointing you toward your next evolutionary step as a, as a being of light on this planet. We understand that our sleeping dream, our waking dream, our reverie, and our daydream, or, or, or I mean our, our daydream or reverie, and our waking dream or this conscious dream, they're all the same, really. They all have the same elements in them, but we're not aware of it. When we become aware of it, then there's no difference. Synchronicity starts to happen, right? Like you said, yeah. prophetic dreams, people that were really working their dream world, their dream life, were able to have precognitive dreams and anticipate future events. And that's not uncommon. That has happened throughout history. Uh, many of the greatest prophets were the dreamers, right? Now, yeah. And right now, when we in shamanic, in our shamanic understanding, when all three of these dreams have the same elements in it, then we're really living our medicine. We're we're walking our medicine, and therefore, there's no really separation between what you dream at nighttime, what you are in daydreaming, and what your conscious experience is. They all have the same guidance, the same encounters with interesting people that pop out of nowhere and then disappear, and they're full of, you know, supernatural experiences. Your life becomes one big, blissful, supernatural shindig, you know, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's how I see, that, that's how I see, our, how I see our, our this is a dream. You know, row, row, row your boat gently down yeah. the stream. That's merely, right. Merely, merely. That is Life the most powerful, powerful little song ever invented. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Well, they say that when you really know you've made a step into another dimension of total understanding when you realize that the dream is dreaming you. You've got it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it. There's, and the story is telling you. The dream in the story is telling you, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. There was a time when dreams, it, you would be people on a daily basis. They would say, I had a dream last night, or they'll talk about different things. You don't hear people doing that anymore so much. No, you don't. And, Very rarely. And, yeah. and if you think about it, how many times? Do you remember your dreams anymore? For some reason, it's almost like some of these things have been closed off to us to build something better, hopefully. But it's it's not as easy as it used to be, let's put it that way. Yes, and that's because there's so little... Um, importance given to our inner life nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're mm-hmm. just bombarded by external consumerist-based, uh, uh, what can I say, garbage, really. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and pretty so, well. 
and so it, yeah. all our the, everything is focused on the external world, not the internal world. In the earlier days of depth psychology, and dreams are dreams are still important in certain, you know, mm-hmm. psychotherapeutic uh, modalities. Extremely important. Yet um, people don't want to spend the time being artists. They want no. to. They they want the art to come to them through an algorithm. They don't. They don't want to put it. They don't want to put in the time to to practice. You know, right. instant gratification. Yeah, it's like where you know, put your hand down. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Yet we are still here. Uh, you know, spinning <laughs> voraciously through still the cosmos. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> and, We're uh, spinning, all right. <laughs> and still, still have the blessing of being able to meet each other virtually through these programs, and uh, right. and and put our stories out into the world, and, and know that we're doing some good good medicine work, and uh, keep it simple, as they mm-hmm. say, right? Yes. Well, again, I want to announce the name of your great new book. It is Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion with Nature and Creation. It's available on Amazon, everybody. You can get your own copy and read more personal experiences of shamanism and more of a breakdown of the different rituals and the different ways of looking at the world. Thanks to Don Oscar Miro Quesada, who did such a great job with the book and who spent his entire evening with us here tonight. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We've enjoyed it immensely. (laughs) Thank you, PK. And the book is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's getting some very good recognition uh, among many booksellers and um, I'm I'm very happy for that. It's like I said, I, it's a planting of seeds in in the garden that is going to be our new earth, and I I offer it to the world with nothing more than a desire that it awakens those who are ready to awaken. And well, we want to be awake. <laughs> and thank you again. We're running out of time, but thank you so much, Don Oscar. We would love for you to come back sometime soon. And again, please keep in touch with us. Until then, next week, hey, we've got another great show, everybody. Until that time, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.